Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. This morning, the first service, uh, Aaron and Jade started out with that same song that we started out with this morning about preparing a way for the Lord. They didn't know what I was going to speak on. And then Ellen got up and talked about building infrastructure for the Lord to ride in on. And uh, that, again, was just went right along with what I want to talk about. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump back into our previous series on foundations. And I'm going I'm to attempt to tie it in with what we were talking about on the Christmas story. It really does fit. And uh, so we're going to be continuing on in this whole thing on foundations. Uh, and so let's just pray. Father, I thank you. For your word, Lord, I ask that it would come with great power, great authority. Lord, that you would be, your word would be a hammer that would break the stone. Lord, it would be fire that would melt all opposition. And Lord, it would be the seed of life. Lord, the water of life that would water our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're looking at foundations. And I want, I want to just revisit Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, kind of set this up. We've been away from this series for about three, four weeks now. Uh, in Hebrews 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation. And then he gives six components to this foundation. Of repentance from acts that lead to death or from dead works. Faith toward God, instructions about baptisms or washings. We're going to look at, we'll unpack that later, probably next week. And then a laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. And so he lays out six planks to the foundation, and they're really six sets of two. There's repentance and faith. There is baptisms and the laying on of hands, and then there's the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And these three, these three sets of two uh, provide the foundation for the Christian life. And so the writer says, let us, let us leave the elementary teachings and not lay again the foundation. Let's go on. He, he talks about the milk of the word, that they're not ready for the meat because they're not mature. So the language, he, he creates these categories, if you look in this passage. There is elementary teaching. There is foundational teaching. There is the milk of the word because they're mere infants. Then there is the solid food or what Peter refers to as the meat of the word. There is the mature teaching or in this same passage he talks about the teaching on righteousness that is for the mature. The word of righteousness. What does that mean? What is the word of righteousness? And so these are the more mature teachings. And so then we have this, uh, the, 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 the edifice that God wants to build in our life. And so there's a progression in the Christian life. The danger is that we try to jump into the more mature teachings without having the foundational teachings. The first two planks of this are repentance from dead works and faith in God. And if we just jump into faith, but we don't have repentance, then we ended up building on a faulty foundation. Now, one of the reasons we're talking about this is there is a promise given to us by Jesus himself about what happens to those who build a firm foundation. Matthew chapter 7. 
Some of you that you were raised in church used to sing the little song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. You know, and that, and anybody ever, how many of you have never heard that song? Okay, we're going to have our worship. No, it's, it's a little kid's song, but we used to love that song. You'd say, the wise man built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the floods came up, the rain came down, the flood came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. That wasn't the fun part. The real fun part was this. And the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the rains came down, the floods came up, the rain came down, the floods came up. The rains came down, and the, flood, and the house on the sand went splat. We loved that as a kid to sing that part. That is fun to sing, but a bummer to live through. And we want to avoid what we've been building, crumbling in the time of adversity and storm. And so we want to build a solid foundation. We want to make sure that that's firmly laid in our life. And what happens is we, there's a progression to this thing that was designed by God. It's repentance, then faith, then baptisms, and the laying on of hands, and then the understanding of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. And all of those are foundational. But there's a progression to them. And if you skip the first one and go to the second one, you can begin to build what looks good, but when adversity comes and the rains come down and the floods come up, your house will splat because you're not really unhinged from self. You added Jesus as, a, as a, a, an accessory, but he doesn't become the center or the foundation of your life. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at this. And so uh, let me just uh, put it this way. To think with God, to study his word, is not to only think theologically. It demands we think psychologically and sociologically as well. You're like, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm about to tell you. What I mean by this is that we are not merely tinkering with thoughts about God. If we truly interact with God's book, we deal with theological issues, and you do have a theology whether you realize it or not. The danger is, is that you don't realize it, and you had one on accident. We need to be intentional about building a theology, and that is a lifelong process where we're building our theology, precept on precept, and God is always tweaking our belief about him. But that belief about him and the interacting of his word will not simply build a theology. It will result in a biblical psychology and sociology. What I mean by that is this. We need to have a biblical psychology. We need to understand our own soul. And that is part of this foundation. When God talks about repentance and faith, God as the creator of our psyche, our soul, God, as the creator, has designed a process to undo the fall within our soul. We've got a tangled mess that each of us were born with and then added to, and probably in our adolescence, but we added to that tangled mess. And Christianity, being discipled, growing up, becoming mature, is us untangling that mess in our soul. And we, we need to get our cues from the word of God. We need to understand the human soul. Underneath that repentance, underneath that psychology, uh, are subjects like inner healing, deliverance, 
uh, growth, just understanding the word, learning to drink the milk of the word so that we can develop an appetite and a capability of, uh, matter of fact, Hebrews 6 says, you are unskilled and cannot handle the word of righteousness. I want to be skilled in the word of righteousness. I was telling the first service, one of the challenges of a pastor is that you've got to be able to serve milk and meat in the same service. Because you got those who are mature, and we always want to be stretching ourselves. We always want to be growing. God forbid that you should sit here and not hear something that challenges you. I was telling one of my kids yesterday, they said, Dad, what are you going to preach on? And I told him that Charles Spurgeon said, it is a, he said, I consider it a sin to bore people with the word of God. I agree with him. If you are bored by the preaching of the word, then this preacher needs to get back in the secret place. Now, that can be on you. That can be that you just don't have an appetite. That can be that you've been eating junk food. You have your mom ever tell you, you're going to spoil your appetite. I would jokingly say, I've found there's always a fresh one right behind it. (laughs) That's been especially true lately. But the fact is, we can spoil our spiritual appetite by filling our minds with senseless things. It's not even necessarily evil things. It's just junk food. You eat it, it doesn't benefit you, but it makes you full. And so we need to have an appetite for the word. So some of that is, frankly, on you. Can I say that as your pastor? That's on you. But there's something on me as well. We have got to, we got to dig into the word and we've got to be stretching ourselves. We've got to be growing I, I tell young preachers, I said, you got to learn to make stew. You've got to have some meat in that bowl when you preach for those who are mature and understand the meat of the word. You got to have some veggies for those who are just beginning to eat some solids. And then you got to have the broth for the babies. We've got to have all of them because God wants to grow us up and stretch us. And part of what we come away with is not just a fresh view of God, but we're going to have a fresh view of ourselves. And I'm telling you, Hebrews 6, there is a psychology and a sociology embedded in that passage that God designed a gospel to fit my malady, that my soul was messed up from birth, and I needed it fixed. And the way God fixes it is he lays a foundation of repentance and faith and baptisms, and the laying on of hands. And all of these are part of that firm foundation so that when the rain comes, the adversity in life comes, we can stand. We're not washed away in the storm. One of the reasons I want to cover this, I feel compelled by the Lord to cover foundations, both individually and corporately, is because there are hard times on the horizon, my friend. This nation cannot remain in the trajectory it's going. You, you take away the morality. That, that's, that's the big issue. Our biggest problem in America is God. You say, well, what do you mean? Because we have to answer to him. And we need the fear of the Lord. And we've got we've to think through these issues. We have a big problem morally. But even, even if we brush those aside financially, We cannot continue to print money like we're doing without this thing crashing. The devaluation of the dollar is happening while we speak. And there are hard times on the horizon. 
And if we don't have a firm foundation, those of us who sit comfortably in church in the good times will leave in the bad times. The edifice we've been building that looks good because we've been building our faith and accumulating theological knowledge, but we haven't repented and unhinged ourselves from self. So when the hard times come, we get offended with God because it's all about us and not about Him because we never repented. And so God knows the first thing that has to happen is there needs to be repentance. We need to see ourselves for who we are, we need to understand ourselves. And so when we, we talk about theology, there is a psychological application. So again, we are not merely tinkering with thoughts about God. There is an application to our lives, both individually and corporately. We are not to be mere hearers of the word. One of the dangers about the Western church is that we can hear. We think because we know, we grow. Because we can explain theological concepts, we're mature. But our maturity is revealed during the trial. It's not revealed in what answers you can give in Sunday school. Now, the fact is you need those answers. But if those answers aren't showing up in your everyday life, then you are in danger. And we've got to go back and do the first works. We've got, this has to change us. And that's why we need to be challenged week after week, day after day. We need to be getting in the word for ourselves and allowing the Lord to speak to our spirit. And there's this repentance thing is an excavation of our former life. And I don't know about you, I've been walking with Jesus a little over 40 years and he is still excavating some things in my life. There are still things I'm discovering that, oh man, I've seen that thing wrong but in order for that to happen, I've got to be in the Word so that I can see myself in the mirror. I can see that there's some things that need to change. And so we've got to, we've got to have a, the Word challenging us. We've got to be doers of the Word. There is an application to this thing. And that application is both psychological and sociological. Psychological in the sense that we apply it to our own life. We begin to understand, these are the patterns of behavior in my life. This is why I do what I do, and this is what I need to change, and I need, I need to really strengthen myself in this. I need to learn to encourage myself, because when I get discouraged, it's easy to sin. That's straight out of scripture. Hebrews chapter 6. We would we encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that you will not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That is a psychological principle given to us by the great psychologist, our creator, who designed our soul and now tells us how to pastor ourselves. But if we're not in the word, we're just discouraged and waiting for someone else to come along. But if we understand that, like David, had to encourage himself in the Lord, so we discover these principles and we begin to unravel our own soul and we begin to grow and we begin to confront those issues and we begin to create a foundation. And then what happens is our individual application of the word, all of a sudden we realize, I've got some tools that I can help someone else because I recognize they're going through what I was going through yesterday. And by the way, that's all it takes. As long as you're one day ahead of them, you can disciple someone. I discovered this yesterday, now I'm an expert. And so we, we gather those tools. So there's a psychological application of the work of God, word of God. We begin to understand this is how we deliver the human soul. You were saved and you're being saved. 
And that being saved is called sanctification theologically. It's called discipleship. It's called growing up, baby. And so we need to learn how to apply it to our own life, and then we give it away. We begin to help others. That's that psychological application. But there's also a sociological application, the corporate application of the Word of God. And we've got to be sure that this church is founded on a firm foundation. A healthy church, it can only be made up of healthy people. Doesn't mean you're perfect. That disqualify all of us, including the pastor. But what it does mean is that we are growing and we're willing to be corrected by the Lord and by others. And we're growing up. And as we create, as we become healthy, we can create healthy relationships. One of the primary marks of maturity is healthy relationships. And let me just give the flip side of this. One of the primary avenues by which we were just, Ellen was talking about preparing a way for the Lord, building infrastructure for the Lord to come in. You can build infrastructure for the enemy to come in. And the primary building blocks of that pathway for the enemy to come in your life is dysfunctional relationships. Much of what we call demonic oppression is dysfunctional relationships. It doesn't mean God, enemy's not involved, it just defines his entrance. And so if you want healthy relationships, you've got to be a healthy person. And we create healthy environments. There is an application of those foundations to the church. And when that happens, then we can invite those in who are broken like we once were, and we can absorb that. But an unhealthy church cannot handle many more unhealthy people before it breaks. And so a healthy body has an immune system that can absorb disease and cure it, and it won't affect the body. But an unhealthy body, when it gets around viruses, it can take them out. So we need to be a healthy body, because I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of unhealthy people that need mercy and someone to love them and to give them a place where they can land and help them along in the journey. And you can use the tools you discovered yesterday on yourself. You can use them today with them. And so this foundations thing is essential because in the coming days, only those who have built their house on the rock will be standing. And in the coming days, when hardship hits, people are going to be looking for the, they're going to look for the high ground people. Who are those who built on a rock and high ground? Who are those who are still standing? Who are those who still have this unnatural joy in the midst of adversity? That literally you, you exude that you have the answer by the way you live. But we've got to make sure that there's a foundation under our feet. We cannot afford I implore you, you cannot afford to just sit in church and listen to sermons and think that by, by doing that, on accident, you're going to grow. We've got to be intentional about growing up in the Lord. And that means hearing the word of the Lord and reading the word of the Lord. And I can only help you with one of those. There's, I have a responsibility to release the word of the Lord corporately. That's just the way God designed it. But we also have our own individual responsibility of getting in the book and reading it. And I want to encourage you, get in the Bible and ask God to reveal it to you. 
When I first got saved, I remember being so intimidated by this book, thinking, Lord. And then I'd hear guys talk about, and this is the kind of helmets the Hittites wore. And then I, well, how am I ever going to figure that out? You know, I didn't realize that that was irrelevant. But it just sounded impressive. And I'm, I'm so intimidated by this book. But I have found that if you will get in the book, what you know will cause you to know other things. And there's a snowball effect. Just dive in. Start today. Get to know the book for yourself because God will begin to speak to you. So we need to have foundations. So uh, let's look at, let's jump to uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. I want you to look at this. We're talking about baptisms. We've talked about repentance and faith. If you uh, you can go back in the podcast, look at those. We've talked about repentance and faith. And now we're going into baptisms. But I want to show you how baptism is connected to that theme. Look at verse 3, 1 in Luke. In the 15th year, I'm going to have to pretend I can pronounce these words. I found that if you just really say them fast and say it confidently, people think you're saying it the right way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiber- Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate, being the governor of Judea, and Herod the king, Herod being tetrarch, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Tronaconitis, it sounds like a breathing problem, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, not Texas, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word, I just got to take a break. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. So John's ministry tied together baptism and repentance, okay? Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. You hear that theme? First song we sang this morning. We hadn't talked. Ellen rolls in. She talks about preparing the way for the Lord. Let he who has ears hear what the Spirit would say to the church. The Lord is wanting to prepare a fresh inroad in your life. Corporately and individually. That's the word of the Lord this morning. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, John needed a little little help, and he needed to read that book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. He just rolls out with, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. There's a whole lot in there. We we don't have time to get into all this. We will in the next couple weeks. But I want to point something out to you. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We as the Western church emphasize faith all the time. And if somebody has doubts, 
we revisit faith. Brother, don't doubt. You need to have faith. You need to believe. You need to shake that condemnation off. You need to just believe that God, and we have all this stuff about faith. But you know what John emphasized? Fruit. He said, let me see some fruit that goes along with your repentance. James put it this way. Faith without works is dead. And fruit, repentance without fruit is, is not valid repentance. And so John was telling them, I want to see fruit in your life before I'm willing to baptize you into that repentance. And so the, 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 there's, there's so much to do with John. You remember last, I think it was last week, we were talking about how John, or Simeon, we were talking about how Simeon, the, the, the elderly man who prayed over Jesus, how he was most likely influenced by the Essenes. Remember we were talking about that three groups, Sadducees, they were the liberal theologians, didn't believe in the supernatural. The Pharisees believed in it, but it only happened in yesterday. It only happened in the Old Testament, and that doesn't happen today, sound like anybody? And then you had the Essenes, this other group, that they were the Holy Ghost guys. They, were, they believed in the prophetic, they had they. Had, Actually, through a prophetic word, they had left Jerusalem for a season because the Pharisees and Sadducees were killing each other. And through a prophetic word, they were told to go into the wilderness. They went into Egypt. That's where Mary and Joseph went and probably were hanging out with the Essenes. That was where John the baptizer here in this passage, he was raised up. They, were, they, they kept the scrolls. They took all the holy writings with them that we've now discovered since 1947. Up in, we're still discovering some uh, called the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of their writings. And what we've discovered is that these Essenes, what we thought were the 400 silent years between the Testaments, weren't 400 silent years. There were some people, God was talking and he had some people listening. They were called the Essenes. And they had prophetic words. They had a prophetic word to leave Israel. uh, And then they had a prophetic word to come back once Rome came. Because Rome was going to bring, a, 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 you know, it was going to bring some order so they didn't have to worry about this, this civil war that was going on. And they began to disseminate the word of the Lord. And we find in these Essene writings that have been unearthed in the Dead Sea Scrolls, things like the Messiah would be the Son of God. He would inaugurate the age of grace. He would... He would forgive man of his sins, that he would be the son, he would be God himself, would become man. The Messiah would actually be deity. And he would die for the sins of man. They had prophetic words saying, avoid the nails. That the Jewish people would reject their Messiah. Avoid the nails. Don't take part in the nails. They didn't even have crucifixion when those things were written. This was all prophetic material. And they also had a word that one of their own would rise up and become the answer, the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. That's, that is quoted here. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. So there's all this buzz and it says, the word of the Lord came to John. It's an interesting phrase. It's a common, somewhat common phrase throughout Scripture that the word of the Lord was revealed to them. Now, we know from some of the Essene writings, and we also know from other, there's other theological thought that this would, you and I think of that, oh, God spoke to them. And, yeah. But there's also reason to believe that they literally had this encounter with the pre-incarnate Christ, the word of God himself. And the Messiah was called the word of God. And John, the uh, revelator that also wrote the book of John, he picks up on that theme and he said, and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
John didn't pull that out of thin air. This is part of the Essene teaching. So we had these prophetic people. And John is among these prophetic Essene people being discipled by them. And it says the word of the Lord was revealed to him. John has an encounter and now it's on. There's already this buzz from years earlier, and I love how Luke says it. It says, and in those days, it starts in verse chapter 3, and in those days, what days? It's referring to the previous chapters, chapters 1 and 2, which was the birth of John and Jesus. And now we have 30 years from that time, and it says in those days. Let me just encourage you that when God says in those days, it's usually a lot longer span of time than you and I think of. It's about a 30-year span. I know that's not real encouraging, but it's true. We need to just prepare ourselves. So in those days, the word of the Lord is revealed to John, and he comes out, and there's already this narrative about his supernatural birth. There's already these prophetic teachings that are being released through the Essenes in the Jewish community, and some had ears to hear and were listening for it. And John comes out full of the Spirit of God, and he begins to release this word, repent, for the kingdom of God draweth nigh. And all of a sudden, there's an awakening. It says in Matthew, they came from Jerusalem, Judea, and the entire region began to show up. And when they show up, John is preaching a bold gospel. And so let, let me land it here, okay? This was my outline. That was intro. Here's my outline. John's ministry, the mandate on his life, the ministry he was to fulfill, was to prepare a way for the Lord. Remember, we've heard that this morning. And by the way, oh man, if we had another hour, Malachi said before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he would send Elijah, okay? Before the great and dreadful day. And John didn't even realize it, but Jesus did. They said to John, who are you? He said, he understood he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. What he didn't understand, he was also the fulfillment of Malachi. Because they asked him, they said, are you the the Elijah to come? He said, no. But Jesus said, oh yeah, you are. You are preparing the hearts of the fathers, knitting them to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And he was preparing, he was a preparatory act before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I would propose to you, his first coming was the great day of the Lord, and the second coming is the dreadful day of the Lord. The first coming necessitated a a, a John the Baptist under an Elijah anointing, calling people to repentance, and the second coming will necessitate the same. So this thing on foundations is crucial for us to understand. So John comes, and he's the fulfillment of of Isaiah 40, and his ministry is what? Prepare a way for the Lord. His message to fulfill the ministry is what? Repent. But the method by which he would release the message, they would would respond to the message and fulfill the ministry was baptism. Baptism is an act of repentance. And if you have not been baptized, you need to be. You think, well, what a strange thing. I mean, we're in, the, we're in 2024 tomorrow. We're still dunking people in water as an initiation right to an ancient religion. Uh-huh. You know why? Because God's smarter than we are. I don't need to fully understand it. I need to obey. 
but I'm going to try to help you understand it over the next few weeks, somewhat. But these things are connected. The way you prepare a way for the Lord, God wants to build a fresh landing strip right in the center of your existence. And the way in which you do that is through repentance. You allow that excavation to begin to happen. Because God wants to build. It says he'll take the the high places and make them low. The low places and make them high. The crooked way he'll make it straight to prepare a way for the Lord. And the language here, they would have been very familiar at that day and age. Because the Roman government was infamous for their construction projects. In fact, in Jerusalem itself, they were worshiping on the temple mount built by Herod. I was there in March of this year. First time I'd been there. We went deep under under the city, deep under the foundations of the Temple Mount. And I looked, I walked alongside and felt the edge until I came to the crack. And they had stones that were literally from here, not, not to the, this floor, but to the floor you're sitting on, this tall and as wide as me in the front row. And then they would be at least as far as to the end of the, the sanctuary, if not farther. Single stones deep under the earth, they stacked one upon the other to actually build a mountain, a a plateau on which they would build the temple. It was called the Temple Mount. But it was man-made. It's an amazing thing. And so what they would do is they would, they understood you've got to excavate and then you've got to build. And the language here is very vivid language. It's the idea, when we go to Columbia, when I first started to go to Columbia and minister, we would fly into the, the top of the mountain and we would drive all the way through and it'd take, it'd take probably an hour and a half to get to the center of the city where we would minister. Now, it's about a 20 minute ride because they've actually burrowed, bored a hole right through the mountain. What it's saying here is he's not gonna take in your life, in my life, he's not going to take the path of least resistance. Oh, I'll just go around this mountain. It'll be less disruptive. No. He said, I'm going to drop that mountain down to sea level. And I'm going to bring up the valleys up to the same level. And I'm going to go right through every obstacle. I'm going to bl- obliterate them. And I'm going to make a straight way for the Lord. That's the language here. God is not interested in taking the path of least resistance in our life. He's coming right on through it. And so the way we cooperate with that is he reveals those things, we repent and we align our life with him. And we make a landing place for the Lord. And he takes the high places and brings them low. In those areas where we're arrogant, God brings us to humility. I remember a young man I was discipling many, many years ago, some 35 years ago, and I remember talking to him, and he said, he was a kickboxer. He was was in a bunch of magazines. He was very well known, and uh, as I was talking to him, he was very arrogant, and I pressed him on that, and he said, well, yeah, I've, and I said, finally, I said, it sounds like you think you did God a favor by surrendering your life to him, and he said, well, yeah, I mean, look at me. I mean, God can really use someone like me. I mean, I'm famous. You know, I'm well-known. He's an award-winning kickboxer. I remember having to kick him out of Teen Challenge. Remember Warren Hunsberger? No, it wasn't Warren. It was Roger Helley. He was a decorated Marine. He said, you're going to have to, he, he just stayed in bed for work. He said, you're going to have to go kick him out, Dave. I'm thinking, you're the Marine. You go kick the kickboxer out. 
But I went up there and he's like a little kid, just curled up in a little fetal position. I said, you got to go to work. No, no. He didn't make it. The storms came and he crashed. So God will take those high places and bring them low. But then there's others that say, I'm not a, I'm not a candidate to be used by God. God will bring those low places up. And there's adjustments he makes in our life so he can have a straight way. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to I pray. We are going into a season of laying foundations. And understand what that means is there's some excavation that's got to happen in our lives. I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you, to you. I'm, this is an us in my mouth, Okay. We're asking the Lord, God, do what you have to do in our lives. Lord, have your way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Lord, do your work in our life. Lord, strip the defenses. Bring the low places high, the high places low. Make a way for the Lord in our life. I'm going to ask you to put your hands up before the Lord. Father, I ask that you would begin to deal with us over these next number of weeks. Lord, as we move into 2024, Lord, we invite you to come. Lord, we're asking that you would grace us to respond accordingly. God, that you would do a work in our hearts. We want you to have your way, Lord. God, any, any high places, Lord, bring them low. Any low places, bring them high. Lord, the crooked, bent places in our soul where we're wounded and we we've, we've, we've see things differently, Lord. God, that you'd straighten those things in Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you need to do so today. Your life will never straighten out. The high places will remain. The low places will get lower. The high places will get higher. The bent places will get more crooked. If, you're, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, or if you're saying, yeah, I walked with the Lord, but I, I walked away, I want to invite you to come forward right now. We want to pray for you. If you know you need to get right with God this morning, this is the, it, it's the way to begin your new year. If you're here and you need to get right with God, don't hesitate. It doesn't matter what a person in this room thinks. You're going to stand before God one day. And you're not going to care what anybody else thought. The one thing that you're going to want to hear is the words from him, well done. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.